When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Belly Up Sports, MD's fantasy football show. Now, for your host, Dan Mater. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. As you can tell, I am your host, Dan Mater. But if you were listening to that intro, we have some big news on the show to be able to talk to you guys about before we go ahead and kick off today's episode. If you did not catch it on social media, we've officially become an original product of the Belly Up Sports Network. Now, we've been a member of the Belly Up Sports Network for quite some time now. Uh, but this is the first time, the first episode that we are only the Belly Up product. And you know what that means for you guys as listeners, as the viewers, as we're simulcasting this on Sportscaster Live, on YouTube, on Facebook Live, and of course Periscope on Twitter. Uh, it means nothing for you. It, it really doesn't. There's a few changes that we have to make as far as where you're going to contact us and our username and, and a, a few changes on our branding, which is going to be uh, those official designs are going to be coming out pretty soon. So you're going to be able to see all of that. Uh, but for the most part here, we are pretty much for the show itself. It's just going to be heading in a different direction. A more It's more of a, a marketability thing. Uh, it's going to help us be able to do more interviews like we're going to have in today's show, open up some extra doors for us by making this move. And of course, we're very, very happy to be a Belly Up Sports Network original product. But like I said, for you, the listener, for you, the viewer, it doesn't change one iota. We're still available as the MD Sunday Football Show on every podcast app available to you. It'll just, be, it'll just say Belly Up Sports' MD Sunday Football Show. That's the only difference. Uh, on Twitter, our handle is now at Belly Up MDFF Show. And that's exactly the same for Facebook at Belly Up MDFF Show. So that's the only difference there. Uh, but as far as our player news update notifications are concerned, as far as when we do these episodes, how we do these episodes with the content that I'm going to be bringing you, none of that's changed. None of that's changed for you guys. It's just there's something exciting down the road for this show. And none of that would be possible without you, MD Nation, viewing, listening to the show every single week. I can't express how appreciative I am because without you, moves like this uh, on behind the scenes of the show uh, do not happen. 
Um, so that that would pretty much mark our off-season notes as well because we we have a lot we have to get into in today's show. I have a lot of interviews for you guys lined up. We got Dave Zangaro, NBC Sports Philly, uh, talking to Eagles today in the interview. We have another interview here with Andy Vasquez, NorthJersey.com from the Jets. We have Greg Allman from The Athletic covering the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming on to talk. And we have Kevin Bowen, 107.5 The Fan Indianapolis to come on and talk Colts. Now, full disclosure, these are four separate interviews that are going to go throughout today's show. And these are all uh, pre-recorded, just to be full transparency, so you guys are well uh, aware of that. But we are very, very excited to kick this episode off. It's going to be a little bit of a longer one. And this is going to be the first of eight episodes. We're going to be doing four teams per episode. We're getting an insider from each and every NFL team to bring you guys the most insightful knowledge you can possibly have getting prepared for your fantasy football seasons, which is what this show is all about. So I was very happy to do this. Very grateful for the guests that we were able to have on and agreed to come on the show. And I think we're going to have a lot of great content for you guys. So without further ado, uh, I just want real quick, we're going to talk about Belly Up Fantasy Sports, especially now we're being part of the network. Uh, you can always check them out, www.bellyupfantasysports.com. They have a lot of great content on there. You can find this show, videos, and the podcast shows all on that on, on that website. All my projections and rankings are going to be up on that website. The scoring leaders from 2019 are up there now, and there's a lot of great articles from the big team at Belly Up Fantasy Sports covering all fantasy sports for you. So make sure you go ahead and check them out the second that you get an opportunity. Uh, but right now, we're going to turn around and we're going to dive in the interview that we had with Dave Zangaro on the other side. And MD Nation, for our first interview of today's show, the talk about the Philadelphia Eagles... Mr. Dave Zangaro has blessed us with his presence this year. Again, very grateful to have Dave on the show today. He's always a great uh, read, always a great follow on Twitter, at DZangaro, NBCS, the NBC Sports Philly Eagles beat writer. He's also the co-host of the Eagle Eye podcast, which is a great listen I subscribe to on iHeartRadio. Highly suggest everybody go ahead and check that out. Dave, how are you doing today? How is your family? Are you guys staying healthy? Yeah, healthy and safe. Um, as you know, trying to get through this like everyone else, it's been a you no know, kind of a learning process. But you know, yeah, no complaints from from my end. It's uh, learning how to deal with it, and I, I think we, we've all done what we can. Yeah, and I have to imagine, uh, especially in your line of work, uh, being that you you're used to having you know access on the inside and following guys up close. And, and being able, you know, that's what you do. You cover, you let us know, the fans know what's going on the inside of the organization. How does that work without really being allowed anywhere near the facility right now? Yeah, I mean, it's a little strange. This is the time of year we would have, uh, we'd be starting OTAs. We would have already had rookie minicamp. Uh, so the actual access inside the building isn't there right now. So, um, you know, you kind of have to work at it a little bit more um and it's challenging from from that stance but uh it's also rewarding i mean having to work for it makes it a little more worthwhile and i've actually noticed that at least so far um guys and and people who I, i talk to sources and and even interview subjects are willing to get back to me right now just because everyone's kind of at home without much to do. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's I, people are getting back to me much more frequently now through phone calls and emails than normal. And I think that's just because uh, 
everyone's home. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's been a little challenging. Uh, and it, it's just kind of dealing with it. You know, even when sports come back, I'm not sure exactly what covering a team will be like, at least in the beginning. Um, I, I can't imagine we're going to be in locker rooms for, for quite a while. So yeah. uh, this is probably good practice for the future of covering professional sports in the United States. And I, I think that it's good practice for that. I'll miss being in locker rooms. I mean, I, I think that um, maybe some people don't understand the value in that, but uh, it's not just interviewing players in the locker room. It is always an awkward thing to, to be in locker rooms with professional athletes. It's rude to be in any locker room. It's an awkward social situation, honestly. Right. Um, but aside from just interviewing players in there, that's a, an important time to build relationships and to gain trust. And without that, it's going to be more difficult. It's going to change the way we do our jobs. I think it's going to hurt us in a lot of ways. But, um, yeah, you're not going to hear me complaining about it much more than that because it's kind of just the way things are right now. We'll adapt. We'll find ways to get around it. Yeah, all uh, all virtual press conferences and things of that nature, I, I guess. I mean, I don't even know how that would work, honestly. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what – We've been doing now. The Eagles are making a few players available on Zoom during the draft. We that's how we spoke with uh, coach, GM, and scouting head. So I, there are ways to do it. Zoom has kind of taken over. Yeah. It's crazy throughout this whole thing. I mean, I didn't know what Zoom was three months ago, and now I don't think I've gone a day without being on Zoom or, or a Microsoft Teams um, like <laughs> chat in in months. I mean, it's every day. So you get used to it. It's not perfect, but you find ways around it. You have to adapt. uh, Real quick on that. What's been uh, your worst experience with someone trying to get them to work zoom? I'm just kind of curious with that. Honestly, it, most of the people I've dealt with are pretty good at it right now. Okay. Um, I, it's become such a a common thing that, you know, most people get it. Um, I, I think the biggest hurdles are sometimes the technical difficulties, you know, Wi-Fi signals dropping, um, and there's just not much you can do about it. Um, you know, we had a, a press conference with Carson Wentz a week ago, and it was supposed to be through a Zoom chat, and his, his Wi-Fi just wasn't working very well that day. So <laughs> it ended up being just an audio call, which uh, is a little more difficult, but... Yeah, I think those are the issues we've seen more often. You know, sometimes calls drop, sometimes things like that happen. Uh, for the most part, though, everyone's been pretty good with the technology. I think the the other hardest thing is just when you're on any kind of conference call or Zoom call is reminding people to mute their lines. Oh, uh, it yeah. seems really simple, and we should all be doing it pretty easily at this point, but uh, it doesn't happen, so... Yeah, the, the, um, the feedback is crazy sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and we have people, you know, if you're, and, and I do it too, like I'll take calls outside a bunch, but I don't live in the city, and right. so it's not always super loud, but you have, you know, cars going by and, and that kind of ambient noise. It just makes it a little more difficult, but um, it, everyone's learning how to deal with it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And in the meantime, I think we all just need to write a letter to Comcast saying up, up the uh, bandwidth on the Wi-Fi so we don't have these issues. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. There you go. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, well, getting into the Philadelphia Eagles this is why we have Dave on the show today. We're, we're doing the team profiles. We're, we're examining all these fantasy-relevant players, how these organizations are, are looking at some of these players. And the Eagles had you know, just about as interesting of an offseason, especially draft-wise, as anybody. But the, the, main, the main focus, the number one focus, has to, of course, be on Carson Wentz. And do, do you believe they actually put enough weapons around Carson Wentz this year where he's not going to run to a situation at the end of last season like they were with, with Greg Ward coming out of nowhere and being the number one wide receiver for the team? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And um, I, I was very skeptical of their approach in free agency because there were eventually receivers who signed deals that didn't break the bank that I thought would have really helped him. Uh, and they waited to... Uh, for the draft to, to put players around him, which is a risky strategy because uh, the hit rate on receivers in the draft just isn't very good. I know this was a very good class of receivers, but um, I don't know if, if they did enough in the immediate future. Uh, there are so many questions about that position still. Uh, the biggest one is Alshon Jeffrey. Um and he, there are, we could spend the next 10 minutes talking about Alshon Jeffrey because there are so <laughs> many questions right. about him right now from, you know, even before, even if you kind of take away the the locker room perceived issues with the quarterback, even if you remove all that, he's still a 30 year old receiver whose production has declined and is now coming off a list crank surgery. So, yeah, there are a lot of questions about him. My understanding is he still is in their plans, but he's got to get healthy first, and that's not a given based on that injury. Uh, then you go to Deshaun Jackson, 33 years old, a speed receiver, and maybe the best deep threat in NFL history, but he he's a 33-year-old speed receiver coming off a poor muscle injury. So I... I don't know if you can really rely on him for 16 games or even, you know, 12, 13 games. I don't really know what should be expected of him. Then after that, the the, the other incumbent guys are J.J. or Sega Whiteside, who had a really disappointing rookie season. Greg Ward, who had a nice year, but I don't know what the ceiling is there. So, yeah, I, I would have liked if, if I was – judging them from a free agency standpoint, maybe they should have gone out and, and gotten some kind of receiver they can actually count on. Uh, I will give them credit. They used their first-round pick on Jalen Rager, who, I'll be honest with you, he wouldn't have been my pick there. I really like Justin Jefferson. And I think Justin Jefferson probably has a better shot of contributing from day one as opposed to Jalen Rager, who probably you know has a – a lower floor, higher ceiling. But you give them credit. They drafted a receiver in the first round. They drafted another two receivers on day three. And then they traded for Marquise Goodwin, who has, you know, some potential to help them, but we don't know his injury status. So, yeah, I, they addressed the position, but not with enough players that I think you can really rely on this coming season. The good news for them is that if you know a couple of those guys work out, then all of a sudden you have a better receiving core, 
You still have Zach Erbs, Dallas Goddard. You still have Miles Sanders. You still have a good offensive line. And you have a quarterback that, if he stays upright, has the potential to be a, a top five, top ten quarterback in the league. Uh, but there are some questions about the receiver core. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I share your skepticism when it came to them drafting Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson. I thought he fit what they needed to do perfectly, especially with some of those rumors out there that they were maybe looking to see if they could move on from Alshon Jeffrey via trade this year. Is that still a thing, or are they pretty much off of that now that the draft is over? I'll put it this way. I, I think they would have been open to trading Alshon Jeffrey, but you have to put yourself in the shoes of another team. Here's uh, We mentioned all the issues surrounding Alshon, and we didn't talk about his contract, right. which is a pretty a sizable contract that Howie Roseman made the mistake of guaranteeing last year to save some cap room. Who's trading for that? Yeah. Um, yeah I, I don't, I don't think there were teams lining up to trade for an injured 30 year old receiver with declining production and a bloated contract. Uh, so I'm sure that they would have been willing to trade him, but I, I just don't think that was ever really feasible. There is the idea that they could cut him, but uh, the only reason they would cut him is that they think it would be addition by subtraction. If they really think that he can't be around the team anymore, that's the only reason to cut him because his contract is already guaranteed. You might as well, if it's salvageable, you might as well see what you can get out of him this year. Right. No, I, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. I, I think that door on, on trading him away had closed. I don't think it makes any sense to, to cut him because if he can stay healthy, He's still probably the best red zone target, if, if nothing else, as far as the wide receivers go uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles. So to your point, they should see what, at least what they can get out of him. I mean, the same thing goes for Deshaun Jackson. They should at least see what they can get out of him as well. Uh, I think trading for Marquise Goodwin is more, I think they want to guarantee they have at least one speedster on the field at some point this season. I, 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 between drafting Jalen Rigar, between uh, trading Marquise Goodwin, between uh, keeping Deshaun Jackson on the field, it's clear they want to make sure they have at least one burner out there uh, if everybody were to fall injury again. Yeah, and then they, they drafted two guys on day three, John Hightower. I think he ran a four four two, and Quez Watkins from Southern Mississippi ran a, a four three five. You don't know what you're getting in those day three picks, but you're kind of taking a flyer on some low-cost speed guys. So, that yeah, that's what they did. They just brought in a bunch of speed, uh, and – that was their goal because that it was so clear last year with that offense when Deshaun Jackson wasn't on the field. They just missed that, not just the deep threat, but overall speed mm. to open up the field. They didn't have it. They became this slow, plodding, methodical offense, and it worked at times. But that's a tough way to win when you're so one-dimensional like that. And the one dimension they were missing was speed. So they went out and, and they added a bunch of guys to have it. Well, let's let's talk a little. Let's circle a little bit back to the quarterback position, and of course, another one of their draft picks was Jalen Hurts. Made headlines for a number of different reasons, but my focus more on him is: is he going to be a Taysom Hill role guy? Is he just going to be that guy who comes in on special packages, or is he going to be more than that in his rookie season? Are they looking at him as somebody who really can come in, and if Carson Wentz goes down, he's going to be that guy? It's interesting, and I think the Taysom Hill stuff came up when a bunch of people were trying to find a way to justify taking a quarterback in the second round. at pick 50, 53. And, and 
I'm not really sold on the idea that they drafted Jalen Hurts to be this Taysom Hill changed the way we play football second quarterback. I I don't think that that's a really fair way to look at him because even Taysom Hill and and it's not a, a apples to apples comparison either because Taysom Hill was not a second round draft pick. They didn't put that kind of investment into him. And he's not the same kind of player. When Taysom Hill plays a bunch of special team snaps, you're not going to see Jalen Hurts on special teams. So they view Hurts as a developmental quarterback that can eventually be the backup. But they're not even viewing him as the backup right now. He's a rookie coming into a really unusual offseason. And they still have Nate Sudfeld under contract, who's been with the team for three years. So if anything were to happen to Carson Wentz in, in early in the season, at least, it wouldn't even be Jalen Hurts taking over, at least the way they're planning on it right now. It would be Nate Sudfeld. So they're viewing Jalen Hurts as a, a longer-term project. And even if he look, even, even if he plays some snaps on Sundays in his rookie year, how much is he really going to play? I mean, we have to be realistic about this. Uh, even Taysom Hill in year three in New Orleans averaged about 15 snaps per game. So that's like the the ceiling of how much Jalen Hurts could play, and I, and I don't think that would happen in his rookie season. And if he's not the backup, that also means you're keeping three quarterbacks active every game day, which those back of the roster active spots on game day are pretty important, especially to the Eagles. They 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 take a lot of stock into those players. Those are your special teams players. Those are guys you need key backups at other positions. So I don't even know if it's a guarantee that he's active for every game. That's an excellent Um, point. Excellent point. Yeah. And so, I mean, it is intriguing to think about ways to use Jalen Hurts. And and I think the Eagles will try to get creative. I don't know about you. When I watched the Saints, and they put Taysom Hill back there and they have Drew Brees out wide. It frustrates the heck out of me as a fan. (laughs) And and I know that they've had some success with Taysom Hill, but I always look at it like Drew Brees is your best player, Hall and you're Famer. taking the ball out of his hands. Yeah. And so, in the Eagles' case, Carson Wentz is their best player. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to put Taysom or Taysom, if you're going to put Jalen Hurts back there in, in the shotgun and 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 have Carson out wide, like that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think where it gets really intriguing is if you're thinking about all right, Carson Wentz is in shotgun. He's flanked by Jalen Hurts. Now you have uh, this is a, kind of a play that Dan Orlovsky broke down on Twitter that is at least an intriguing possibility. You have the option of almost like a, a double RPO, double option type of play where Carson has a quick read, and if it's not there. He pitches the ball to Hurts, who has a quick read. And if it's not there, he takes off. <laughs> I don't know how functional that's going to be against the speed of NFL defenses. I, I think yeah. that a lot of defenses are going to swarm that pretty quickly. But sounds like a pack. I'm sure scheme. the Eagles are. Yeah, you know, I'm sure the Eagles are already thinking of ways to get creative. But how much of that are we going to see on Sundays? I, I'm skeptical about how much. I, I think that there are opportunities. Um, but the first time one of those plays gets blown up for a 10-yard loss, yeah, how quick are they going to be to go back to it? Right, and they're going to throw that right out the playbook. I, I mean, look, I had compared Jalen Hurts 
to Tyrod Taylor from this sense, I think his career is going to follow a very similar path. I, I agree with you. I think the Eagles view him as a developmental project, a uh, guy who has some abilities that you can't teach and try to teach him how to play the quarterback position from a fundamental and mental aspect. And kind of like Tyrod Taylor did, where he sat, what, three, four, five years before he got an opportunity to start. I think there's something similar in the works for Jalen Hurts in his career. I don't think we're going to see a ton of them in this season. I would, I personally wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see him at all this year. I'm kind of more in the line uh, of thought with you, where I don't think they really brought him in to necessarily be that gadget guy, uh, even though it was a second-round pick. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I, don't, I think he's going to have very little impact, I think, for the first few years, uh, quite frankly, there. But um, moving on to somebody who will definitely have a big impact and a few questions about, and that's the backfield for the Philadelphia Eagles. They didn't draft anybody. There's some rumors that they might be interested in Carlos Hyde, but as it stands right now, it's pretty much Miles Sanders is Boston Scott with them not bringing in anybody. Is Miles Sanders really going to be the featured guy or are we going to see a little bit more of Boston Scott than maybe people realize? I think, well, first off, I will say that the possibility is certainly there of them bringing in a veteran running back, whether that's Carlos Hyde, it would certainly make the most sense from a football standpoint, complimentary football, because he, he really would be a nice compliment to Miles Sanders and his skill set to have kind of a more inside tough runner. So Carlos Hyde makes a lot of sense. There are some other players available who would also fit that bill and, and who would be decent additions to the team. But, uh, Miles Sanders is going to be the number one back, and it's just a, a matter of what the rotation looks like after him. And there will be some sort of rotation. And it's not going to be they, – they don't want to wear Miles Sanders out to the point where he's taking you know 95% of snaps in that running back group. I don't think they ever want to get to that point. I do think that you know this idea that Doug Peterson really wants to have a rotation has been overblown a little bit because they're going to get Miles Sanders on the field and, and he's going to play more than any other back by a good portion. Boston Scott's going to play a little bit. He, he's earned that right uh, to be at least a, a change of pace type player, get out there on some third downs, get the ball to him in space. He's a nice little player. I, I don't know what the ceiling is there, but he's clearly running back two right now. And then after that, there's some competition for the back to roster spots if they don't add someone. Corey Clement still or back under contract, right. signed to a veteran minimum deal. He he doesn't have a roster spot locked up. He, he's kind of a, a guy who's had a really strange career. He's ended the last couple of seasons on IR. And then they have some intriguing back of the roster guys, Elijah Holyfield, who um, they really liked in last year's draft. He ends up coming over from Carolina late in the season, and then they, they brought in two undrafted players, Michael Warren from Cincinnati, Adrian Killens from UCF. Uh, so one of those guys has a chance to, to play a little bit this year, too. You look at the Eagles' history, they found some decent contrib- contributing players in the undrafted classes. Corey Clement a couple years ago, Josh Adams a couple years ago. So they, they're willing to give undrafted guys a look, and they have at least a couple interesting back-of-the-roster running backs right now. But Miles Sanders is the guy, and then everyone else kind of mixes in after that. Yeah, and he's got a, I mean, he's got a high ceiling because he's going to be involved in the passing game. He is elusive. I do worry about him if he's in a situation where he would have 300 touches, but I'm in the line with you where I don't think they're going to let him get to that point, whether it is bringing in a Carlos Hyde 
or what have you. We talked about the wide receivers. We have to talk about the tight ends. And uh, my big question for the tight ends for Philadelphia Eagles is, is this the year Dallas Goddard is going to overtake Zach Ertz? I don't think so. Um, I think purely, look, maybe in overall skill, that's a possibility because Dallas offers so much to them in the run game. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner as a blocker and also in the past game as a blocker to be honest because he's a guy they leave in to, to help chip against some, some top tier pass rushers but because of that too I, I don't see him overtaking Zach Ertz as a pass catcher I don't think his talent as a pass catcher is there yet either he might have more yard after the catch ability he might have more big playability but look, Zach Ertz is still in his prime as a pass-catching tight end who, let's be honest, has never really offered much as a blocker. But um, he's dependable. He's reliable. Uh, he's putting together a career that, honestly, if he has another three, four good seasons, the, the seasons he's had in recent years, he's going to put himself into the Hall of Fame conversation. Yeah. Um He really is, at least by the numbers. I don't know if he's probably on the outside of that right now, but um, he's been better, I think, than people realize. Yeah, and he's about as consistent as any tight end in the league. And Carson Wentz loves throwing it to him, so I don't think we're going to see Dallas got to overtake him, and and that's barring any injury, of course, that would change things. Um, And that's kind of a tough spot for Dallas to be in, I'm sure, because he's a really talented tight end. He might be a top 10 tight end in the league, um, which is also why they utilized a lot of 12 personnel last year. And I I think they'll continue to do that. Um, But some of that was out of necessity last year, too, because once they lost to Sean Jackson, like I mentioned, they became this kind of plotting offense. That was out of necessity, but they still have the ability to go with 12 at times. I, I think it can't be their base offense like it was throughout a lot of last season. Right. I just think that's that's not the way the NFL is going. You need to be fast. fast. And we saw that with the Kansas City Chiefs, speed kills. Um, but as a change of pace, and having that 12 personnel in your back pocket can certainly help. Um, I, I just I, I still think Zach Ertz is the top tight end for this team. And, and maybe that'll be the case long term. I, I can understand if you're skeptical there. But right now, he's still number one. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I have Zach Ertz as my number four tight end overall, just just behind Mark Andrews. 
Uh, and the only reason I have him behind Mark Andrews is because of Dallas Goddard effect. I do expect him to be involved in a significant enough way that Ertz doesn't quite get over there. But he's still my top five tight end, uh, especially for fantasy football purposes. And yeah, speed kills. I'm still having uh, nightmares of the Tyreek Hill bomb in the Super Bowl as a 49ers fan <laughs> at night. Uh, moving on, though, kind of wrap up the question for the Eagles. What what's your expectation for this defense now? They finally they finally add Darius Slay. They finally have a top corner, which has been their biggest weakness for forever. I always thought this was a team that had a pretty good pass rush if they could get corners to protect for a half a second more. What do you think this defense is going to be able to bring to the table this year? Yeah, adding Slay is big. Uh, they were in on Byron Jones, and, and then when that didn't happen, they quickly pivoted and got Darius Slay. And I'll be honest with you, I think they ended up with a better player. I agree. Now, Slay is older than Byron Jones, but he was also cheaper. And, and honestly, he's a better player, in my opinion, overall. Um, it's going to help them. And he, they haven't had a top-tier corner in so long. In the last good corner they had, less really good corner they had, was Asante Samuel. He's been retired for how many years at this point? Um, yeah. So having Darius Slice is going to help. Jim Schwartz has not, in his time in Philadelphia, he has not used cornerbacks to travel with opposing number one receivers. But he has done that at other stops in his NFL career. I, I think a big reason he hasn't done it in Philly is because he hasn't had a corner corner worthy of that responsibility that'll change this year and they're going to face kind of a murderer's row of receivers this season from Amari yeah. Cooper to DeAndre Hopkins Michael Thomas I mean it's about as tough as it can get in this league so um, it's going to be a big task for Darius Slay the, the part about the secondary that I think should be concerning is the loss of Malcolm Jenkins they let him walk as a free agent and they replaced him with some combination of Jalen Mills, Will Parks, and the rookie Kayvon Wallace from Clemson. It's not easy to replace Malcolm Jenkins and what he meant to that team from you know, an on-field perspective, a guy who played multiple positions, didn't miss a snap. And from the leadership perspective, they have some guys who will fill in, but he was kind of the unquestioned leader of the defense and, quite frankly, of the team over the last several years. So replacing him with not going to be easy. Uh, and, and in my mind, the loss of him and the addition of Darius Slay almost cancel each other out right now. Um, I, I think they're slightly better because, like you said, corner has been such a a need position for them. But we'll see. I, I, I'm a little skeptical about the back end of it now without Malcolm Jenkins. Yeah, and he's clearly been the heart and soul of that defense in particular for the past few seasons. So, yeah, that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Before we go ahead and let you go, Dave, uh, I've been asking everybody this question. Uh, what is your personal opinion on the prospects of the NFL season starting on time this year? Man, I, that's the big question. Yeah. Um, I, I give the NFL credit for at least getting to this point. You know, they, they have 90 guys on rosters right now because they went through free agency, they went through the draft, and I – at the time, I wasn't sure if that was a good idea. It felt a little tone deaf to me, but in hindsight, I'm glad they went through with all that because to be in a position right now where every team has 90 guys and if facilities open, they can get there and, and start practicing, That's it's a nice feeling to have right now for the NFL. Yeah. I, I think there will be some sort of season, but I don't know, man. I, it's, it, 
this is so far and when I you know I'm not an expert in this and, and the problem is nobody really is I mean this is something we haven't dealt with before I I, I think the idea of having fans in the stands is to me not very realistic right yeah um, agreed and so I think that it's possible to have the league in place but man I, I think we, there are a lot of hurdles to clear before we get to that point, I think there will be some sort of season. Uh, the good news for the NFL is that it seems like other sports are going to give this a go in the States before the NFL season begins. So they can learn from the successes and mistakes of, you know, if baseball starts in July, better believe I know it's a different sport. It's not a contact sport. So some things are a little different, but the NFL is going to be watching it and, and they'll have that benefit of learning from Major League Baseball, possibly the NBA, maybe the NHL. So I think that will give them an advantage. And I think we'll have some sort of season. I'm certainly hoping we will, because uh, I certainly need it. And I know a lot of people do. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely need it, too. And I, I hope it's this is one of the situations where it's going to be good that the NFL is not first or really anybody who's not first going through this, I think will actually benefit them. Uh, Dave, just one last time, let everybody know where to follow you at and what you're working on now so people have something to look forward to to go ahead and check you out because you do a lot of great stuff for everything. I appreciate that, yeah. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at DZangaro, NBCS. All my stuff is on NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com. Actually working on a, a piece right now about Jalen Rager's uh, individual pro day where he kind of had all those impressive numbers after kind of struggling at the combine. So uh, that'll be posted on Monday morning. So that's something to keep an eye out for. Absolutely. I'll definitely be checking that out myself. Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show and I can't wait to talk to you again sometime soon. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it, man. Take care. And that was the Dave Zangara interview that we have for you real quick before we jump in to Andy Vasquez of the New York Jets. I want to take a quick second to remind you guys, the MD Nation hotline is still widely available to you, 609-362-2480. If you call that, leave a comment, a question, a rant, whatever the case may be, we will put you on a mailbag segment in one of the shows coming up, so make sure you give a head and give a call to that number, or if you rather contact me on social media, which will also make you eligible to get your question or comment on the mailbag segment for us to talk about on the show, you can always contact us on Twitter at our new handle at bellyupmdffshow and that is the same now for Facebook too. The email has not changed mdsfantasyfootball at gmail.com. You can still email us directly through that email. So that's going on with the MD Nation hotline. Make sure you check that out and get on the next mailbag segment. Okay, MD Nation. On the line, we have joining us now Mr. Andy Vasquez from NorthJersey.com, the Jets beat writer there. You can follow him on Twitter at Andy underscore Vasquez. He's a great follow, has great inside articles. I follow him all the time. And Andy, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. This is your first time on this show, and hopefully this will lead to uh, many more conversations with you. But first of all, how are you doing? How is your family? Are you guys able to stay healthy during these times? Yeah, everything has been okay. It's kind of weird. I ended up getting stuck in Florida. My sister was supposed to get married um, in mid-March, and I actually came down here early because I wanted to go to the Players' Championship. I didn't really you know, have any idea that any of this was about to happen. And the day I got here, everything kind of happened, and I haven't, uh, it hasn't really made sense to go home. So my sister's wedding got canceled, and uh, 
just been hanging out with my parents, which was not what I expected for this year, but <laughs> I was with my parents for two and a half months but at the age of 36, but it's been interesting. It's been cool to spend the time with them, honestly, because I've lived with my parents since I was in like high school, so kind of it's kind of been nice. Well, and, and and it gives you a chance to kind of be able to keep an eye on them uh, firsthand as well, I'd imagine, too. I'm sure you appreciate that ability to do that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I tell my dad to, you know, not make a trip to Home Depot every two days. <laughs> you know, make sure that, that, that they're damn smart and safe. But, yeah, it's been, a, obviously, it's a weird, and I think it's a difficult time for everyone. But there there are some, you know, nice things or positives about it. But, obviously, we all like life to get back to normal and, and everybody to be able to earn money and move around the way we're, that we're used to and, and be safe. So hopefully there's no way to know when it's coming, but hopefully it's not that far off. Yeah, I, I hope so as as well. I asked somebody else this question. I'm going to ask you this since, since you're actually trapped uh, in Florida, kind of a, you know, a ways away here from Jersey. Uh, how has it been trying to cover the team, trying to get guests on, trying to uh, make sure you still have your finger on the pulse for, for doing what you do? I mean, I don't, I'm don't. i not at any disadvantage being down here because there's been no access to the facility. So everything I'm doing and everything any other reporter is doing right now is over the phone or through text or you know other sources. So the Jets have done a good job of making you know, draft picks and, and other players and coaches and GMs available through you know, Zoom, so we can get video of them or uh, conference calls. So the access has been just about the same. It's just not in person. It, in, in some ways, it's uh, you know it's easier because you're in your home instead of being at the facility for the draft. So you know it's more convenient. But in other ways, it's it would be nicer to have that face-to-face interaction and the little stuff off to the side that happens after a press conference. Um, we're having a chance to, you know, watch practices. That all that stuff you're, you're missing out on, and but everybody's missing out on something. And obviously, the, like the players, they're they're not having a chance to, you know, meet for rookie orientation or go through OTAs or or mandatory minicamp. So um, it's just different. Uh, but I don't I don't think it's me being down here is really any that much different. That, I mean, that, that's an excellent point because everyone's doing things remotely anyway. Uh, so I was just kind of curious there, but no, it's, it's good. They've made everything accessible to you guys and uh, making sure that you can continue getting us the inside information because this is the only really form of actual sports that we have really uh, outside of a few things like the UFC and, and maybe NASCAR coming back. But if you're not fans of those sports, this is pretty much all you really get is the information that you guys such as yourselves are able to provide. But let's go ahead and dive into it. Uh, this year, you know, it's a lot of talk is around Sam Darnold. It's a big year for him. Uh, there's a lot of question marks as far as what this team's going to be in the future. And this seems like a make or break it year. Do they look at this as the year Sam Darnold needs to prove himself? And is it a fair expectation to have considering the weapons that he has around him? Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Well, I don't think they're never going to 
publicly put that much pressure on Sam, but I think, yeah, you've, you've got to see him take uh, some sort of leap here in year three. I, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week. He, you know, he's still young. He's still younger than Joe Burrow, believe it or not. He doesn't turn uh, 23 until early in June. So that's been kind of, I think, a useful context as he's gone through these first two years and kind of, you know, been inconsistent and, and you know, had also another another thing is that he had to go to an entirely new offense. So um, I think that's been context. But now he's in year three. He's going to be the second year in the same offense. And they have definitely upgraded the offensive line. I, I don't think it's going to be perfect, but it is. it would be hard to be worse than it was last year because it was so bad. And it's definitely, it's definitely going to be better than that. And he needs to show something. I think what he needs to show is that he can win games. He can, he can make the plays. That's really what a good quarterback does, right? They make the plays that win games. And that's kind of what you need to see out of him. You need to see him be a reason that they win games. And I think there is reason to expect that. If you look back last year, let's kind of just throw it out, the mono thing. Right. The new offense, the, the terrible offensive line, he did not look as comfortable in the pocket. I think if you look at his stats, his stats actually did get better, but he did not look as comfortable in the pocket because he was constantly under fire. But if you look back at the end of his rookie season in 2018, those last, I think he came back from injury and played four or five games. Um, you look at the, if you go back and look at who was blocking in front of him, the offensive line was not good, but they were, they were, okay they they were just they were bad but they were like consistently bad so he didn't have to worry like that out of nowhere he was going to get crushed every time he dropped back and under that and he didn't have great weapons and he still functioned really well he, he went like the last three plus games without throwing an interception i think he threw like six or seven touchdowns uh they were in games against the packers games against the texans so they, they went sort of toe with the playoff contenders there um that should give you hope that Darnold can make that can make some winning plays, and I think um, he's proven that. So that's what the expectation should be. You shouldn't, they shouldn't be expecting him to lead him to the playoffs or to be the best quarterback in football. But he needs to show that he can make the big plays that win games. Can you give me an over under on four thousand yards for Sam Darnold this season? Wow, I, I think it's going to be. The, the question is, does he finally play 16 games? I think if he plays 16 games, it's even money. Okay. Like, I think I think it's a good chance of having it. Here's cra- another crazy Jets stat. Um, I think they only had I, – I can't name it. Their only quarterback to ever throw from 4,000 yards, and he did it in a 14-game season. So no one since 1975 has thrown 4,000 yards, which is absolutely insane. Right. But it's not that hard. I mean, Kirk Cousins has done it like six times, I think. So, <laughs> um, I think it's going to happen eventually. And I, I think I think there's a good chance it happens. But there's just some questions with his weapons um, that, that leave it more of an open question mark. I would say it's even better than even money if, if, you know, they had brought back Robbie Anderson or if they had a clear number one receiver. But, um the way this offense is, is kind of equal opportunity, and I think they'll spread it around and he'll find a way to get those yards. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, one of probably not one of probably the best offensive weapon that they have would be Le'Veon Bell in the backfield. 
And there's some questions that come with that for a variety of reasons. Let's lead off with this one. Do you think he's in line to see 300-plus touches again this season? Yeah, so last season, I think he got just over 300. Yeah. And I think it's going to be, and, and if you ask Le'Veon, I, don't, I think there's more. I don't think he's going to get more. I think it's going to be a more of a running back by committee. I think it's going to be about maybe slightly more. It's going to be right in that 300 range. Um, I don't think they want to, I don't think Adam Gates wants to burn him out. And I don't think, uh, I, I think just the way he runs his offense, it's going to be more of an aerial attack. So there's a chance that Le'Veon gets more involved uh, via the, the passing game. But I don't see him ever being like, this offense ever being like a handed off to Le'Veon offense. So I think his workload will be about the same. I think there's a very good chance he'll be more effective because watching him last year, he didn't look like the Le'Veon Bell of old, but he was not as bad as the numbers bared out. Agreed. Um, There's still something there. He can still do it, but with that offensive line, it was just so bad that that it limited what they could did the option. Um, And I think Adam Gase would admit this, and and Le'Veon would admit this. They had a hard time figuring out how to utilize him properly and, and everything that he can do. Uh, so I think the combination of them knowing how to, Adam Gates knowing how to use him a little bit better in the offense and Bell uh, having some better blocking is going to make him much more productive in terms of numbers this year. But I think the, the, the load will be about the same. Okay, I mean, that, that's the interesting question, right? Because I agree with you from an efficiency standpoint, he should be a lot better. Uh, the offensive line, like you have said, is better. So the, his yards per carry should be able to rise a little bit more. My thing would be him being more involved in the passing game and getting him out in space naturally that way and let him being able to do his thing, I think would help him out a ton too. Uh, the my reason I asked you that question for 300 touches because they, they drafted LaMichael Perrine. Uh, they mm-hmm. just brought in Frank Gore. What do you think their roles could be? Uh, maybe not that significant, according to you. I, I think it'll be... I think they'll have similar roles to the guys that you saw last year, like Bilal Powell had, okay. had a pretty big role. I can't remember the exact touches. I mean, I know him and both Montgomery were under 100 touches. So, yeah, I think it'll be spread a little bit more evenly. I just still, I see Le'Veon getting more involved in the passing game, getting up to 300. But I, I think you know, Gore is going to get some amount of touches. He'll probably be the lead backup. And then, uh, why am I? I'm blanking on the pitching board. Green. Green, um, yeah. He'll, he'll get a considerable amount of. I think he'll kind of just be like a situational, maybe a third down guy. He's kind of more of a power guy, which is something they don't. Gore has some of that, but not like he used to. So I could see him being more of a situational guy in short yardage. But I think they'll use them all. But I think Lavian's going to be the clear lead guy. Okay, yeah, I mean, not that it's the same situation, but I was having flashbacks to when Adam Gase had Frank Gore in Miami with with Kenyon Drake, and I just remember that time screaming for Kenyon Drake to finally get his chance, and Frank Gore was getting an odd amount of number of touches. Uh, So that's that's what I had my flashback, but obviously with Le'Veon Bell, the higher contract is a different situation. Yeah, but if you even look back at that season, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I I looked at it a couple of weeks ago when they signed Gore last week, and they signed Gore. I, I think that... Season in Miami was like his low on touches. 
to that point in his career. So, uh, I mean, Jason doesn't use running backs as much uh, as other coaches do. Uh, At least from what I can tell. Yeah, I mean, that much is, is definitely very true. What he does use a lot uh, in his history is slot wide receivers. Do you think Jameson Crowder is going to be the lead target guy uh, again this season for the team? I mean, it makes it makes the most sense. Um, he obviously fit very well into the offense last year. Developed a nice rapport with with Darnold. Uh, he's the only proven receiver, uh, only proven productive receiver to have on the roster. So, yeah, I mean, it makes the most sense for him to get that those kind of targets. Um, but obviously, defense will, will be in on him. So it, it's it's hard to say. But yeah, my gut instinct is that he will get a lot of targets. I think Chris Herndon comes back and is anything near the player he was as a rookie. Uh, the tight end, Chris Herndon, he obviously had a nightmare year last year. Suspended the first four games of the season because of a DUI, and then right before he was supposed to come back, he got hurt. Uh, missed like four or five more games because the hamstring returned for a game against. I think it was the Patriots, but it may not have been. Maybe the Cowboys. Anyway, he got hurt again. Busted a rib that first game back and, and only played like half a half the whole season. So him and Sam Darnold developed, developed a really nice rapport back uh, in their rookie years. And he had like 15 or, or 20 catches of longer than 20 yards, which is kind of unusual for a tight end. He's a vertical threat. Um, and Darnold got Ryan Griffin involved last year, five touchdowns. Uh, set a new, I think he had like almost 400 yards, which is very high for him. So Darnold likes to get the tight ends involved. I think he could be a sleeper for that. But but Crowder is definitely the favorite. Well, I mean, that's I was one of the questions I was going to ask you too. Um, so I'm I'm glad he brought that up with with Chris Herndon and and Ryan Griffin, who had a, a decent little run last year. I I'm, I'll take it from from that response that you believe Chris Herndon will get the opportunity to overtake the job again this season. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, I think so. And they use a lot of two tight end sets, maybe not as much this year. They're a little bit more uh, comfortable and confident with the offensive line. But, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's going to be, like, Griffin's going to be holding it down as the only tight end. Okay. Um, I think I think Herndon is going to get that opportunity. They're going to find ways to work him in creatively, even if it's laying him up maybe you know, with a slot or something. They're going to find a way to get him involved because he is potentially their most at this point dynamic deep threat like i know it's, it seems weird and it's not necessarily true but he's kind of proven it where obviously you don't know what denzel Mims is going to be and uh Perriman obviously is a question mark too yeah i think he's gonna get that chance yeah well i'm um, that you know that brings me to the next one uh, i'll out of Perryman and Denzel Mims, who do you believe is going to be that main perimeter down the field threat this this season by the end? Well, obviously the Jets would love it if Mims could kind of live up to the potential right away. But I think that's a that's a really big ask. Um, you know, he's going from an offense that you know does, and competition that doesn't have it that hasn't translated that great to the NFL. It usually takes those guys uh, from the Big 12 over the time to kind of adjust. So I think he's kind of viewed as, as a, a guy who can fully arrive one or two years from now. But if you look at his size and his insane speed, uh, 
there is a chance that he, I mean, he has the tools to contribute right now. So I think it's going to be like how quickly does he grasp the offense? How precise can he be with his route? Um, and that's going to allow him to either be able to make an impact or not this first year. He certainly has the speed. Harriman, if you look at what he did the second half of last year, is definitely the guy who is the favorite to make an impact immediately because he's arguably the best receiver in football over the last 10 games of last season. Uh, definitely over the last five games, I think he was tied for the NFL lead in touchdown receptions and close to the NFL lead in receptions and receiving. So obviously he got an opportunity in Tampa when they had some injuries and took full advantage of it. He's going to get an opportunity with the Jets to be their featured outside receiver. And he just needs to consistently put together uh, two seasons of football, really, and anything more than eight games of football, which he hasn't done in his career. So, but if he can do that, he definitely has proven he can do it on his level. I think he's the favorite to be kind of the guy for the Jets this year. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be an interesting one because there is a role there if one of those guys emerges as somebody who's going to be consistently used in that role, they could wind up having big fantasy implications, especially from a DFS perspective. You're going to talk about guys are going to be a little bit cheaper and they have the big playability if Sam Donald's going to be a little bit more aggressive uh, on a more consistent basis, not just towards the end that we've seen the past couple of years when Robbie Anderson seems to catch fire at the end of the season. On the flip side of the ball, you have the defense there. It's not a defense that I think anybody's going to be uh, wanting to draft for fantasy purposes, but what are some of the things that you think that they're going to be good at, and what are some of the things that you think they're going to be a little bit weak at this season? They're a weird defense, man. Like, I, I, I watched them, obviously, every game last year. There, I didn't feel like they were a very... They were great defense, but if you look at the stats, like they were top ten in almost everything in the NFL, which is insane when you look at what they lost injury wise. And I've covered the Jets now since 2016. They were probably the, that's probably the best defense I've seen them have, which isn't saying much. But but they didn't have the breakdowns. So I think the defense could be a surprise. Um, I don't, but for fantasy purposes, I don't think. There's going to be a ton of production. I mean, Jamal Adams is probably still their most dangerous pass rusher, which is obviously a problem. Right. Uh, and, and while Quentin Williams, you know, did a nice job as a rookie, even though the production wasn't there and, and the impact, um, he did a nice job. They were the best team in the NFL against the run. And 
there's a big reason why because he effectively executed his job in the middle of the defensive line. But but um, they just aren't a team that's going to get after the quarterback. Maybe that changes this year, but it just that that seems to be a, the biggest problem. But if C.J. Mosley comes back and, and plays at anywhere near the level he played in the first five seasons of his career in Baltimore, I think this could be like a sneaky good defense. Uh, I think they're going to be good at stopping the run again. I think they're going to struggle um, against you know quick slot corners, guys who can who can kind of I'm sorry quick slot receivers, guys who can kind of exploit. Uh, their, their quarterback problem. I mean, Brian Poole obviously going to do a nice job, probably like he did last year, but guys who can maybe outside receivers can get to the middle of the field and kind of wreak some havoc. I, I think the deep ball, they can probably handle, but that's probably going to be their biggest weakness is, is a... Yeah, I mean, that makes... You can find space. That makes sense to me. Yeah, they, they, you're right. It was a weird defense because we were watching it on film uh, when when you're you know throughout the game, you didn't feel like you're watching a great defense. But to your point, statistically speaking, they weren't bad. They weren't bad at all. So yeah, yeah. It, they're a little bit of an interesting defense in in that sense. And yeah, also to and your they make point, mis- they make mistakes. They make mistakes, but usually after they make the mistake, they don't make another one that game. Yeah. So it, it's, it's just weird. They, it was weird, and it was playing over their head because they had a bunch of guys in middle linebacker, cornerback you've never heard of playing, and for them to be able to be that, I still don't really understand it. But <laughs> I, so I don't know what to expect of the of the defenses. Well, and it's your point. We didn't see to see them with with CJ Mosley that much of the year too, and that that could be a, a big difference. Andy, uh, this has been absolutely great. Before we let you go, I've, I've been asking everybody this question to try to get some sort of consensus on it. What is your uh, personal opinion on the prospects of the NFL being able to start on time this year? I, I mean, honestly, I have no idea. It's so, it's still so, we're still four months um, away from, a little less than four months away now from what would be week one. There's so many things that could happen between now and then uh, that could make it look better or worse. So my gut tells me it just is hard to see the NFL playing games with fans in the stands in early September all across the country. I mean, I, I don't see how that's possible, but um, I, I could, I still think there's a possibility of a 16 game season and it could happen on time. I just the fans are going to be kind of the wild card. I, I think the NFL will find a way to to make it happen and to get a 16 game season, but I don't I don't know about the fans. And I don't know how normal it'll be, and there's so many questions. Uh, like, what do you do if a player tests positive? How does that work? Stop the whole league. So there's a there's are, are the players willing to take less money if there's no fans in the stands? There's less revenue. A billion other questions that these other leagues are wrestling with now. They're trying to start before that. So. My gut is that it won't be as normal, but they'll find a way to get a 16-year season. Yeah, I mean, I hope I hope you're right because we just we need it, especially football, uh, the the one sport that may still be able to pull off a full season just because this happened to happen during their off season. They're not going to be the first 
uh, league to try to go through this. So you're probably going to see, you know, you have baseball and basketball talking about it now trying to do something. So they, they might get an opportunity to kind of sit back and learn from other people's mistakes mm-hmm. and what and things that went well for them. So I'm hopeful because of that they'll have an actual chance here to get started on time because, man, do we need the entertainment right now. Uh, Andy, it oh, was absolutely. Andy, it was absolutely, absolutely great to have you on. Uh, what, before you head out, just let everybody know where to follow you at and give me something that you are working on now that everybody can look forward to and go ahead and check out. Well, you can follow me at on Twitter at Andy underscore Vasquez. You can read my work at NorthJersey.com. Just go to the uh, sports page, find the Jets page, and all the news is there. And as for what I'm working on right now, I'm actually about to be off for a week. Uh, I have to go off for a little next week, so I don't have anything that's coming uh, super soon. But I think you can look for a Denzel Mims feature in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I, that will be coming. I've been working on that. He's got obviously an interesting story, and, and if you want to check out another story I did on Ashton Davis and Jesse Casey, he's kind of a fascinating guy. He's obviously got so he's got a, a, a tough past, but also just a really interesting story of how he made it to the NFL as a walk-on guy who on a Cal track team, and then he walked on to the football team, turned down a scholarship for the Cal track team, and eventually got a scholarship from the football team, and then now he's a third-round pick. So pretty crazy uh, rise for him. Yeah, check that out at NorthJersey.com. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and if you guys don't know, make sure you follow Andy on on Twitter because he's a great follow. A lot of great information constantly coming out of him. I know I have my alerts up on you guys. I'm I'm always following you along now too. So uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on to the show, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking to you again soon. Great. Well, thanks for having me, and stay safe. Thank you. You too. Take care. That wraps up the interview with Andy Vasquez of NorthJersey.com covering the New York Jets. And before we go ahead and get into Greg Allman of The Athletic covering Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I do want to talk to you guys about one of our newest sponsors called PropMe. They are a new innovative gaming platform, really the first of its kind. PropMe makes betting from person to person more easy than ever. Designed for new and experienced gamblers alike using straightforward prop bets that can literally be created on anything. Want to bet on what that next play will be? Then create a prop. You want to bet on who's going to win that game of beer pong? Then create a prop. It takes hanging out with your friends to a whole new level. Join today by downloading the PropMe app or go to PropMeLLC.com. MD Nation, welcome back in. And we have fresh on the MD Nation hotline, Mr. Greg Allman of The Athletic, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat writer. You can find him on Twitter at Greg Allman. He's a great follow. The news alerts coming out of him I follow constantly uh, to keep me updated, especially this offseason because you guys have had a busy offseason. Greg, first off, how are you? How's your family? Are you guys staying healthy during this time? Yeah, doing very well. Can't complain. Um, you know, kind of getting into the, the last month of uh, school here in Florida. And, uh, yeah, I think everyone's kind of got a routine and, and hoping to see things kind of slowly get back to normal here in the summer. Yeah, I mean, especially down in Florida and especially in Tampa Bay, you want to be able to take advantage of all the all the warm weather you guys are having down there. I'm up here in Jersey, and we're just starting to get a little bit of warm weather uh, it's been kind of hit or miss, so I definitely envy you guys down there if you can hit the beaches and they're open and everything like that. Uh, yeah, so like I said, you guys had probably the most popular offseason because you got the most popular player in Tom Brady. Uh, just let's get into it right here. What's the expectations for him? What's the offensive system going to look like around him? Are they going to adapt to Tom Brady, or is Bruce Arians going to keep it more to what he wants to do? 
no, I think they definitely will do will do some adapting, as you would really for any new quarterback. But it's been especially uh, with the success that Tom Brady's had, you'd, you'd be silly not to kind of tweak your offense to his strengths. So, I mean, I think that starts with uh, protection, given that he'll be 43 years old this fall, and just making sure you uh, minimize the, the times that he's hit and brought down. Um, he had 19 fewer sacks last year than Jameis Winston did here in Tampa. So I think the hope would be to keep that number down a much lower uh, total for the year. Some of that is just Brady having a better internal clock and being able to get rid of the ball quickly. I think they'll throw more to the backs and the tight ends, as has certainly been his history. Um, and I would have said that even before they brought Bob Gronkowski on board as well. Well, yeah, I mean, Tom Brady's always had that quick release. You guys uh, put some draft capital into that offensive line uh, this year, which was a great, great move. I still believe Tom Brady has what it takes, uh, I, th- I think maybe more so than most, at least from what I've heard from other people talking about, that he still has that ability to go 20, 25 yards down the field outside the numbers and still be able to zip that thing in, which I think is more what Bruce Arians truly wants to do. Everyone thinks about the bomb, but that's not really the biggest part of the offense, I feel like. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, Arians just said he feels like Tom can make every throw they need him to make in his offense. I don't think he necessarily had uh, the personnel that he'd like to have last year in New England. Um, just, you know, no Gronk for the first time in a decade. Um, took some key injuries at receiver that really took away some options for them. So, no, I, I think as much as his numbers were down a bit last year, that that's as much a function of the, the offense around him as it was the, the wear and tear of a guy being 42 years old. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I, I'm working through my projections and my rankings as, as we speak, you know, early on in May here. But I actually did just finish Tampa Bay, and I had – I actually, I'm going to be bigger on Brady than I even thought I was. I had him for 33 touchdowns and uh, about 46, 4,700 yards. What do, what do you think about that real quick, just just because I finished that uh, recently? Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, 33 would be the same number that, that Jameis had this past year in terms of passing touchdowns. Um, I would expect the passing artists to drop. They, they've thrown for 5,000 yards in each of the last two years here in Tampa. But I think some of that is a function of, of falling behind and being behind and throwing more, getting out of uh, – more balanced game plan, if you will. So I think as they get more successful as a team, they'll probably need to throw less. So it's it's not really a bad thing if he throws for fewer yards than, than Winston last year. The big number I'm curious about is how many interceptions. That's where they can really make a big step forward. Um, obviously, Winston had 30 last year. Um, Brady's never had more than 14 in a season. So, I mean, if, if he can get that number down to, to 10 or even lower, that's that's where his impact will really be felt for sure. Well, that's what I was just going to follow up with. I actually had him for a, a nine interceptions on the year, which, to your point, should mean that they probably will throw for a few less yards. They probably will be a little bit more balanced, which brings us to the running back situation. Now, you guys actually wound up drafting one of my favorite sleeper running backs in Keyshawn Vaughn. I think there's a lot of things he can do that a lot of people don't really know about yet. I think he could be a day one impact starter. What do you think the rotation between Ronald Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn is going to be? Yeah, I think they're still really high on Ronald Jones here as a guy that's kind of still on the rise and took a big step forward last year. Um, obviously, you know what, what they want to see is is a good compliment in Keyshawn Vaughn. Um, lots of big play potential there. I think he had eight touchdowns of sixty yards or longer in college, um, which you know sounds a lot like Ronald Jones. Two guys that both have the ability to take it to the house when you give them the ball. Um, my instinct is that with less of an off season, less of a chance for a rookie to learn an offense and, and get acclimated. They'll probably trend toward Jones at least early in the year, go with what they know and, and what's most familiar with the, the offense and pass protection and all those kind of things. But, again, it'll be a work in progress. It, that that split will change as the year goes on and they both get a chance to, to show what they can do. 
No, agree. And that's a great point, right? Because that's a big thing with a lot of these rookies that people are really excited about going into this season is that I don't think enough people are taking into consideration the fact that we may not have a full training camp for these guys to get ready uh, for the NFL speed, for the playbooks, and for the uh, most most importantly, especially in, in Tom Brady's case, the blocking scheme as as a running back, because you're going to be able to give that a little a bit of extra protection to make sure Brady stays upright. That's going to be the big priority. And uh, I do think Vaughn has that ability for a rookie coming out of college, but you still need to get practice and, and work in there. So I agree with that. We, we may not see him significantly involved until the end of the season, but I do like a lot of his ability there. Um, and of course, what Ronald Jones might be able to take the next step up if with better offense around him too. The big story, of course, is going to be the wide receivers. What's the split going to be between Chris Godwin and Mike Evans? Is, is it going to be Godwin because Tom Brady has that history with the slot receiver? Or are we going to say shift back to Evans because outside of Randy Moss, we really haven't seen Brady have a premier perimeter wide receiver until now? Yeah, I'll be curious to see how those two split it. I mean, it was one of those where, you know, last year it was such a, a great back and forth between the two of them to see who would finish with more. It was unfortunate to see them both missed the last two, three games with injuries. Um, he might have had two receivers with, with 14 or 1,500 yards if they had a full year to play around with. So, yeah, in terms of who benefits more, um, Brady's history is certainly with the slot, and that favors Godwin. Um, I don't think he's had a, uh, a jump ball receiver, a guy he can throw to the end zone to in the red zone since Randy Moss, really, that's this good. So, I mean, I think he'll take advantage of Mike Evans' size. Um, this should be good news for both of those guys, at least as touchdowns are concerned. Again, I, I don't know if I'll have the volume of throws and the volume of yardage they had. Um, in terms of touchdowns, I mean, they, they combined for 17 last year, and then they're probably good for that at least going back into 2020 here. Yeah, I have them actually both scoring uh, eight touchdowns apiece, and both are hovering around that 1,100-yard mark, and that might be uh, even too low. And the only reason I have it that low is because I think there might be some extra production going to that tight end position. And I kind of thought that even before Gronk, got moved into this team, but now, especially with Gronk, it becomes very, very interesting. Just I, There's only one question to ask here. What do you make of the tight end situation, what we're going to see this year for this team? Yeah, I think you'll see a lot more 12 personnel um, in terms of you know more likely to have two tight ends on the field. They, they were in 12 about 30% last year, a fair amount, um, but I do think they'll utilize two at once. The idea of having O.J. Howard and Rob Gronkowski on the field at the same time, those are both very complete backs, able to block, able to catch. I think that'll make it harder for defenses to know what's coming. Um, Cam Braid obviously has been a really good red zone option for them. I think he's fourth among NFL tight ends in the last five years with touchdowns. He has 27 touchdowns. So they'll have all three out there. Um, I think it helps in terms of injuries to not have to think about Gronkowski being a 80 or 90% of offensive snap tight end. Um, I think to ease him back in after a year away, uh, take advantage of how many snaps O.J. Howard was able to play last year is probably smart for both of them in terms of keeping them healthy and, and ready to contribute in the playoffs if they get there. Well, that was, yeah, and that leads up into my next question is how much can we really expect to see Rob Gronkowski on the field? Is he going to is he going to line up on the end of line of scrimmages and be asked to block, or is he going to be strictly a red zone situational flex-out tight end? No, I think I think it'll be very business as usual for Gronk. I mean, okay. he, he's stepped away for a year. I mean, today is actually his 31st birthday. He's not that old. So if anything, I think his production was really limited by injuries all over his body his last three years in the league. So to have a year off to get himself kind of back to healthy, uh, normal Gronkowski um, could, could lead him to be in better shape than he was maybe his last year in New England. Yeah, I like that you said that because that's something I've been, I feel like I've been kind of leading the charge on a little bit within the fantasy industry to some degree as far as 
Rob Gronkowski and his playing shape. A lot of people seem to want to question that right away, and I kept bringing up the point. He's already listed at 250. He was already doing other athletic things. He was involved with the wrestling stuff going on. He was already kind of putting on weight. Uh, they reported for the last couple of months since Brady went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, thinking that this was going to be a possibility. I think he's going to be in better shape than and people really realize or, or maybe want to believe. Yeah, I think he'll be fine. I mean, I think we saw some pictures of him where you wondered if he would drop more weight he was down to like 230 or something like that. But he said I think he played at 260, 265 for the most part, um, was already at 250 the day we talked to him maybe a month ago, and he was at 250 in that day, and, and felt like it was really easy for him, given three months before the season starts, to, to work his way back up to, to 260 or something like that. So I think he, he should be physically very much the same as he was. And again, if anything, maybe less limited by injuries. Yeah, I I perfectly agree with that. Uh, moving to your defensive side, because there's always that defensive side aspect for both, you know, for you guys from fantasy relevancy, and then also what teams are going to be able to do or not do against the Tampa Bay defense. Showed a lot of promise towards the end of the season. Uh, made a couple a couple improvements here and there. What's your take on their defense right now? What they're going to be able to bring to the table this season? Yeah, they were much better in the second half of last year than they were. I mean, they were not a very good defense in the first half of 2019. Um, but I think they, they took big strides, and Bucks were very happy with what their defense did the last month or two months of the season. Uh, a young secondary really kind of came together. Um, they didn't really do much to change things at corner at all, didn't draft any corners, didn't sign any corners. Out of the safety in the second round, and Antoine Winfield from Minnesota um, spent a lot to make sure their front seven came back intact, um, brought Shaq Barrett back on a franchise tag, gave Jason Pierre-Paul a two-year deal, brought in Dominican Sue back. So uh, it's very much the same front seven that they had uh, a year ago and i think they hope that with the continued progress and maturation of their secondary they can be a an upper half if not a top 10 defense this, this year yeah i think there's a real possibility especially with the way they play towards the end of last year todd bowles is a very good defensive coordinator so the second year under his system i think is going to help as well uh antoine winfield that was that was a great i just had to, that was a great pickup because this is a guy who he, he could play safety. He could play some nickel corner. He's a ball hawk. I think he's exactly what Tampa Bay needed as far as getting somebody who truly has the ability to create turnovers for them. I think he's going to have a big impact in his rookie year. Uh, reminds me so much of the Honey Badger, the way he can kind of, kind of come up and hit. And uh, uh, maybe a two, I think he's even better than Buda Baker uh, on Arizona. Yeah, I mean, those are two guys that had a lot of versatility for Bruce Arians in Arizona. Um, you know, I think that's what they like the most is just how many different ways they can use him in this defense um, against the run, against the pass, like you said, uh, in a big nickel against tight ends as a slot corner. They still feel comfortable with him there. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think as he gets into this again, we don't know how much of a preseason these guys are going to have or a normal training camp. But as he gets comfortable in this defense, uh, I think Winfield together can use a lot of different ways. Yeah, and hopefully Tampa Bay will actually be one of the teams, being how the rules are going around in Florida, that they'll be able to uh, maybe get into their facilities a little bit earlier. Speaking of that, I'm, uh, the way I want to close out every interview is I want to ask you guys, you know, what is your personal feelings on the prospects of the NFL season being able to start on time this season? Oh, I think there'll be a season. I mean, whether it's whether it starts as scheduled in week one on September 10th, I'm not sure. But, I mean, they've they've made this schedule in a way where they can, even if they're not ready September 10th, if they want to wait a month, um, you know, you can pull out weeks three and four. Week two, all the games in week two can be moved into teams' buys. And then you slide week one to week 18, and you still have a 14-game season that would start in mid-October, and, and you can still play the Super Bowl as normal. So I, I don't know whether we'll have crowds. Um 
but I think we'll definitely have NFL games where you can watch on TV and, and have the normalcy at least of, of watching the NFL on the Sunday afternoon, um, possibly in September and, and hopefully by October. If we don't have crowds, is Tampa Bay going to be one of those teams that tries to pump crowd noise into the stands? You know, I don't know what they'll do. I mean, it's one of those where I think we, we got a while before we have to figure those things out. But uh, like I said, I think most fans will be happy if they're playing um, in any kind of context right now. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. We we need sports. We need, we need entertainment bad. I'm very, very hopeful that the season will be able to, to start on time, but I don't necessarily hold my breath uh, at the same time. And it was good. To, I'm The NFL is catching a lot of flack, I think, for – uh, for the NFL schedule coming out when it did, and I'm like, why not at least plan, hope for the best, and then prepare for the worst? I don't, I don't understand the the line of thinking that was there. That was just my feeling. But Greg, uh, you know, tell everybody again, real quick, where to find you. What's something you're working on now so people can look forward to checking you out because you do a lot of great work. Yeah, lots of stuff. Just kind of getting ready for. Uh, we're kind of gone past the post draft standpoint here. Um, and looking at, at roster projections and depth charts and stuff like that right now. But uh, everything I write is at The Athletic at theathletic.com. Um, usually some good free trials we have there. I think right now you can get half off an annual subscription if you're a new subscriber. And I'm on Twitter at uh, at my name, which is just Greg Allman, G-R-E-G-A-U-M-A-N. But thanks very much for having me on. Though. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on, and, and uh, hopefully we'll be we'll talking to you again soon. All right, stay safe. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. And that was the Greg Allman interview. I hope you guys all enjoyed that one. We still have one more interview to go with Kevin Bowen of 107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. But before we get to that, we have another new sponsor who's brought who's bringing you this show, and we got to talk about them. Trophy Smack, one of the great things about fantasy football are these guys, and you can just commemorate your league winner in the best possible way. There's no other company in the business that does it better than Trophy Smack. They create trophies of all sizes, belts, and rings with a variety of colors, along with free engraving and shipping. And now you can get a free ring with your purchase of a trophy or belt if you use the promo code BELLYUP. So click on your Trophy Smack link on Twitter or Facebook, or go to trophysmack.com and use the promo code BELLYUP on your order today. MD Nation, welcome back. We have a great interview for you on our last segment of the show. We have Mr. Kevin Bowen calling in from 107.5, the fan, to talk about the Colts. Uh, Kevin, we're so grateful to have you on here, and we couldn't be more excited to talk about the Colts with you as we get into these team profile series. Real quick, though, where can people find you at? And uh, what's, what's something that you just came out with recently that people can go ahead and check out the great work that you do? Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Dan. Um, people can find me on Twitter at, at kbowen1070. Uh, 1075thefan.com has all of my written content. And uh, I would say probably the most interesting thing that I've recently posted was projecting rookie playing time. I would say of, of all the teams, especially teams that didn't have a first-round pick, the Colts had you know, two very, very attractive fantasy picks with Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor right off the bat. So take a little bit of a deeper dive into all nine of their draft picks and try to look ahead to how much they could play here in 2020. Yeah, especially with the Colts, right? Because <laughs> there's a lot of questions. We're going to have some questions for you today about some of the rookie playing time that we want to be able to get into. Uh, what we have for you, to, make sure you follow Kevin, first of all, at K, K. Bowen. 1070. Uh, you can find him on there. He's a great follow. Always has great news coming out for the Indianapolis Colts. And uh, before we get into it, though, Kevin, I just want to ask you real quick: how how are you? How's your how's your family? Are you guys staying healthy through these times? We are. Appreciate you asking. Yeah, immediate family has been really healthy. Uh, my wife and I are actually expecting our our, our first child 
um, in about three and a half weeks. So, congratulations. Um, you know, thank you. Yeah. A lot of precautions for our family. She just went into the hospital for a 36 week appointment and says it's kind of been an, an, an eerie feeling. Um, but again, uh, immediate family, everyone is, is healthy, which is the most important thing. And hopefully you are as well and all, all of your listeners. Yeah, we've been we've been great here as well. Uh, I can't I can't really imagine having a kid right now. That would that is kind of a little bit of scary, exciting as well. But yeah, I can tell this definitely would be a little bit scary with everything going on right now. Having to go in the hospital, uh, we may not necessarily want to. So uh, best of luck to you guys. I hope everything goes really really well. Thank you. And now to get into it, we got the Colts. First, first thing I want to lead off with, of course, when you're talking fantasy football purposes, when you're talking NFL purposes, for that matter, you want to talk about the quarterback leading off. You guys just brought in a new quarterback. He's an old new quarterback, I guess you could say, in Phillip Rivers coming in to take over Jacoby Brissett. Uh, how do you think the offensive play calling, how, how does that fit around Phillip Rivers? Yeah, I think two things that we're going to see really change from the Colts this year from a play calling quarterback standpoint is, uh, more chances uh, to hit on big plays, and then maybe even some no-huddle stuff. Um, I thought those are two areas of the offense that either they didn't do a good enough job of or really didn't do last year um, with Jacoby Brissett under center. And we know full well what you're going to get with Phillip Rivers. There is a risk-reward element to his game, uh, but he's going to throw the ball up, and 50-50 chances are going to be there for his wideouts to make plays. And while he doesn't have you know Mike Williams and, and Keenan Allen sitting here in the wideout core, um, you know, guys like T.Y. Hilton and Michael Pittman and Paris Campbell will have opportunities uh, because Rivers is going to take some chances. So even though he is kind of more of that quicker rhythm quarterback, when you look at, you know, how quickly he gets rid of the ball, I still think there will be times throughout games where the Colts do try and get get the ball down the field a little bit more vertically, which, is again, is not something that um, they did a very good job of last season. No, they didn't, and uh, I mean, I think I think there's some question marks out there whether or not Philip Rivers still has the arm strength because there was times when they tried to push the ball down the field with the Chargers, and it, it looked a little rough at times, obviously, especially when trying to get the ball down the field to Mike Williams. But he doesn't have any trepidation about throwing the ball down the field. That's that's for certain. So maybe that'll come into play here, especially with T.Y. Hilton. Uh, and some of the weapons that you guys have, because you do, do have a lot of speed on the perimeter. Uh, I think it'll be an interesting fit. I do have Phillip Rivers, I think, right now in the teens areas, quarterback 14, quarterback 15, which really wouldn't be too much, too different than where he finished with the Chargers for the past couple of seasons. And Frank Reich does have a way, especially coming from that coaching tree, of getting more production out of the quarterbacks than you would necessarily think. So this could be a dark horse sitting here, especially with the weapons that you have in the offensive scheme. Um, but I do want to move to the, the question I think that's really on everybody's mind when it comes to the Colts especially, and that's that's the running back, the backfield. What, what to expect there? Uh, we've heard rumors about Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack being a 1-1 punch. Uh, what, what do you think that backfield is going to look like this season? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, you know, and, and I do think um, you know, Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor in some form will be splitting the early down reps. You know, I don't know if that looks like, okay, it's Marlon Mack for the first series of the game, and then it's Jonathan Taylor for the next series of the game. And, and you know, do they definitely come off the field on third down? Because Naeem Hines is a guy that this staff really believes is still going to have a key role for them. And we saw late last season, more so on punt return, but he had a couple of huge plays. And it's been a missing ingredient for this offense. When Hines was drafted out of North Carolina State, you know, he was this wide out early in his career, big play receiver. You know, he's a running back to end his career, had some big runs there, was tremendous in the return game. 
but that explosive, uh, you know, chunk play element just hasn't been there um, for him offensively. So um, the Colts still want to utilize him in that third down role. You know, think Austin Eckler, Darren Sproles, you know, Danny Woodhead, trying to insert some of the other Philip Rivers running backs um, that have had pretty nice seasons catching the ball out of the backfield. And something to keep an eye on as well is, you know, Nick Sirianni, the Colts offense coordinator, actually touched on this earlier in the week. Rivers has a tremendous job in just naturally finding running backs, whether that be scripted plays or just be the progressions and knowing that he can check it down to a guy and it's a high percentage play. So I do think Hines will have that role on third down. And obviously everyone wants to talk Taylor and, and, and Mack. And um, I, I still think you utilize both of them. I think you have to utilize Jonathan Taylor a good amount because you don't draft the running backs 41st overall and say, Oh yeah, we're going to ease him along. It's going to be a red shirt year. No, I mean, Jonathan Taylor was, Jonathan Taylor produced a resume in college. That's right up there with just about any other running back in the history of college football. And you need him to come in here and you're going to start that clock right away. Um, and the article that I posted on Monday that I teased a little bit earlier last year, the Colts had 29 rush attempts on average per game. So if you extrapolate that to 2020, okay, 29 carries, how do you divide that up? Let's say one goes to their new fullback, Roosevelt Mix. Uh, one goes to Naeem Hines. That leaves 27. Okay, well, you know, maybe 15 to Taylor, 12 to Mack, I don't know, 14, 13, like uh, something like that is kind of how I see the running back breakdown happening with Hines still being um, the main guy out of the backfield on third down. Well, with that, uh, see, my thought, my thought is more of uh, when you have situations like this throughout the NFL, when you have running backs that there's like a one A one B situation. Do you think they're going to rotate them on? Obviously, not even Hines will rotate them on situational purposes, but with with Mac and Taylor, do you think they're going to rotate them on situational purposes, or would it be like a series by series maybe split? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I I, I think series by series, I. You know, it, I guess if a running back gets tired within a series, you'd bring him out. But I think you'd want that guy to get some sort of rhythm. You know, if I'm going to have a 9-10 play series, I would like for that guy to be able to whatever, um, you know, get three, three or four carries and feel like they're getting into some sort of rhythm. So um, the Colts really haven't had a one-two punch. Now, Frank Reich has had some one-two punches, especially in, in Philly, but he wasn't the play caller there. The Colts haven't had really – kind of two guys that they want to split carries for in quite some time. So that's something that remains to be seen. But I think early on, um, you know, trading off series to me would, would make the most sense. Those two guys playing first and second down, and then Hines comes on the field on third down. Yeah, I, personally, as a guy who's going to be projecting and ranking these guys, I'm hoping to do a series-by-series series basis because it make it a little bit easier to kind of anticipate what to expect uh, from those two guys especially. But I'm so glad that you talked uh, extensively about Naeem Hines because that's something that I've been wanting to bring up in my show is that he's going to be a factor as well, making this backfield really a mess when it comes to fantasy football purposes. I think by the end of this season, if you ask me to just project the second half of the season, I would tell you Jonathan Taylor is probably going to take the lead before the first month, maybe six weeks of the season. It wouldn't shock me if, to your point, the 15-12 carry split, if that was in favor of Marlon Mack rather than Jonathan Taylor to start off the year. Uh, so that's where I kind of go back and forth on. But yeah, there's a lot of things to take out. There's someone's going to emerge, and it, obviously it'll be Taylor more times than not once we get down the stretch. But it's going to be early on. I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, one quick question on that though: Do you think there's any chance Marlon Mack was going to possibly be traded or look to be traded this year? 
Yeah, you know, that, that is a question that a few fans have asked me. I, I, I'm going to say no. They, they really like Marlon Mack. And, and, you know, sorry for me to go on like a 30-second rant about feeling bad for Marlon Mack, but <laughs> I do feel bad for him. Like, he's a fourth-round pick that has produced Great. a very nice level compared to, okay, behind Frank Gore in 2017, then he's nearly 1,000 yards in 2018. He goes over 1,000 yards last year. That's a great trajectory for a fourth-round pick three years into the league, and he's only 24 years old. He just turned 24. Um, now, unfortunately, he plays the worst position of football to play if you want to have a long-term career. Yeah. Um, so, I, I again, I don't think they will – this is not like they don't like Marlon Mack. Don't look at it like that. It's the fact of, again, this is running back, and they're very committed to, the, to, 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 the, to this ground game sort of run-the-damn-ball mantra – and they look at it as, okay, let's get another guy in the fold, and then obviously there will be a passing of the torch. So I think considering the attrition that you see at running back, even though Jonathan Taylor has been extremely durable, I don't see um, trading him would be very wise. I mean, how much return would you get? I think you just kind of bite the bullet and say, all right, you know, let him walk, maybe get a compensatory back pick back for him, and you move on from there. Yeah, I mean, the only reason I could ever even really see them doing it would be because Marlon Mack's contract is up at the end of the season, so it would be a just-get-value-form for the sake of it. But because this, this should be a playoff team, in my estimation, uh, if you sign Phillip Rivers, that's what they would be expecting as well, I would imagine, too. You're really a better team if you have both Taylor and Marlon Mack. And I agree, I'm a big fan of Marlon Mack as well. I, I kind of hope after this year he does get a, a chance to uh, prove himself as a lead guy again somewhere. But moving on to the wide receivers, a lot of talk about T.Y. Hilton coming out this week with the contract extensions and everything like that. From a fantasy football purposes, though, uh, do you see him being used in a different capacity? Mostly was used as a deep field threat guy, still their number one guy. But is he going to be maybe used as more of a possession guy this year? Yeah, it's, it, it, it's a great question, you know, because when you look at guys his age that have played as long as he has, you know, you have the freaks of the world and Julio, Julio Jones being a thousand yard wide out, but you know, really the other guys that have lately that have reached the thousand yard number are more of the possession guys. Larry Fitzgerald, bigger body possession receiver, Julian Edelman out of the slot as a, um, as a possession, you know, guy as well. That's not never really been Hilton's game. You know, it, it, obviously he's had a ton of catches, but he hasn't been like a whatever seven, eight catch guy, you know, game in and game out. Um, so I think where they look at Hilton is they do think over the top, he can still make some plays and that's where the river's arm strength question will come into play as well. But I also think that they want to try and utilize him underneath some crossing stuff of like, this guy is a four, three, 40 yard dash guy. And there hasn't been maybe enough of the yak and the big playability with the ball in his hands that they would like. Um, so I think that is something that uh, needs to be tapped into, should be tapped into with this offense. This is a huge year for Hilton. This is this is a contract year, and he just missed six games last season due to injury. He talked earlier in the week you know, about how he wants to sign one more contract here in, Indi- in Indianapolis and then retire. Um, but he's got to prove himself, I think. He's been so durable um, throughout his career. And then last year, the injuries started to pile up, especially lower body injuries. And he just couldn't be on the field, but he's such a key guy to this team. They're one and nine without Ty Hilton in the lineup, which is a pretty crazy stat for an individual, you know, non-quarterback. Uh, but this is a big season for him, for sure, to get back on track healthy-wise. But even though he's not the body type that maybe Rivers is used to working with, 
I still think he'll be a big focal point for this passing offense. Yeah, I mean, the the presence, the production that he's provided for the team as their number one wide receiver, I I do think he becomes a, a little bit of an unsung hero. I do think he gets undervalued uh, throughout people throughout the nation when they look at some of the top NFL wide receivers and their impacts for their teams. T.Y. Hilton's definitely way up there. That was my concern as well, too, with the, with the lower body injury, especially for a guy who had typically leaned on his speed uh, more so than any other attribute that he has had throughout his career is where I was a little bit concerned. But this is a guy who, at this point in his career, has learned very well how to run routes, obviously. He knows how to he knows how to get open. He knows how to get separation. He doesn't have to have that quick burst that he had maybe a couple of years ago. Uh, and which leads into my next question, if he doesn't have to maybe play that role, if he can play more of a, let's say, a Keenan Allen type of role that Phil Rivers is kind of used to, do we see Paris Campbell sliding into that deep main threat role? And what kind of production do you really see out of him or kind of leap that he might be able to take in his development this season? Yeah, I, I look at Paris Campbell as the future slot receiver for this team. You know, th- okay. they weren't able to tap into his big playability at all last season. You know, he, he was injured a lot. Um, he had four different injuries last year, three surgeries. I mean, broken hand, broken foot. Um, what else was it? Uh, I think a hamstring injury maybe in, uh, in, in training camp and then a hernia as well. So this is a guy that he's got to stay healthy for sure. But again, it's the big playability of like the four three forty speed. I think the fastest of any wideout at the combine last year. When he was on the field last year, he played in seven games. He averaged seven yards per catch. Obviously, a very small number for any wideout. Hell, it's a small number for any tight end. Right, um, and that's something that, that that this team has got to improve on with him. He's got to provide more of the big play element um, for this team because he is a guy that you feel like, okay, high percentage touch, screen, quick hitter, crosser, and he can just kind of go. And and that wasn't really utilized as much last season. So it is a huge year for him, um, but I think he will be this team's slot wide out. And they are bullish on him uh, for good reason, I think. Um, but yeah, that'll be that'll be something to uh, to to continue to keep an eye on. This was just more of a personal thing for for me when I was scouting Paris Campbell before the Colts drafted him, going through that whole draft process. I actually looked at him as somebody that I thought could be a wide receiver that maybe should turn into a running back at some point in his career, just the way he was built with the explosive ability that he has. And I thought because. Uh, I thought he had a long way to go in his route running development coming out of college there. Uh, what, what, just out of curiosity, what do you think of that? Because that's something I've talked about on my show before. I thought he could be a running back maybe down the road. Yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit of a gadgetish Percy Harvin type of guy because, you know, he was in Urban Meyer's offense at Ohio State, and that kind of was his role. Um, I still don't know physically if he's going to hold up, you know, and yeah. whatever, be a 15-carry running back guy or whatnot i i fully trust frank Wright to still utilize him as that again slot receiver you know maybe he's in the backfield for some for some gadget type wildcat type stuff um but i think primarily you want him as a as a slot wide out for you no i i agree that's that's the ideal way that they would really want to go another young receiver that they just drafted that's going to probably have a big impact from everything that we've been hearing michael pittman is he a day one starter, and what kind of rookie season do we think we can have out of Michael Pittman this year? Yeah, I think he will be a day one starter. You know, Frank Reich, you know, gushed about watching his USC film and being like, "Wow, those are three, four, five routes that I feel like directly 
um, correlate to our offense and our routes that we have in our offense. The Colts have not had that X wide out where, you know, you, you throw your trips to the right or left and then boom, there's your big body guy opposite that can beat man coverage. They feel like he can win at, at every level. And honestly, you know, you, you look at his numbers, over a 1,000 yards, over 100 catches, over 10 touchdowns, and he did it with, you know, some struggling quarterback play early on. It took a while before USC settled on a, a, a starter, and it was a true freshman. So not like he had Joe Burrow, you know, throw, throwing right. him the football. Um, so I, I think those numbers are really impressive. I think he's one of the more day-one ready wideouts in the NFL. I think in a normal year, he goes top 20, maybe even higher than that. Um, so the Colts love his day one immediate impact ability, and I fully expect him to be that wide out opposite uh, uh, T.Y. Hilton. Do you think he's going to lead the team in touchdowns? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, shock me. I mean, to be honest with you, like <laughs> Eric Ebron is a guy that has, that has kind of led them in touchdowns, or at least did it in 2018. Um, and, and Hilton has never been a big touchdown guy. That's always kind of the one thing that he's never been big on. Um, Trey Burton is now their new number two tight end. He's not a tall, you know, tight end. He's only six two. So, uh, yeah, I, I could see Pittman being a guy that that very well could lead the team in touchdowns. I thought it was great when they compared him to uh, Vincent Jackson. Just kind of confirmed the whole like you. I mean, you're drafting Michael Pittman for the future. You have to like it for the future. But it was, this was definitely a uh, get Phil Rivers at least one big body type wide receiver so he can feel a little bit more at home with what he's dealt with in his career. I thought it was a great pickup. I thought it made all the sense in the world with the fit. Uh, he comes in right away. He's one of the better blocking wide receivers out there, so he's going to help you on the perimeter with the, with the rushing game and, and being able to break stuff and stuff like that. So there's a lot of things he brings to the table, and I thought you guys did need uh, a red zone target, and he provides that instantly. So I thought it was a great pickup. Uh, definitely getting a wide receiver who can start day one in the second round of the draft is is always uh, a phenomenal move. Talking about the tight yeah, ends. I'll, you... add, I'll, oh, I'll add one more thing on, on, on Pittman, and I guess more this is a Rivers thing. I crunched the numbers before the draft of like Philip Rivers thrives with big body wideouts, and I think that's something that um, we kind of know. And you just referenced Vincent Jackson, but I was like, all right, let's let's look a little deeper at it. So if you look at the, the last ten years for Rivers, his top two leading wideouts each season with him, I want to say seventeen of the twenty have been at least six two, right. and nine of the twenty have been at least six four. I mean, Tyrell Williams, Mike Williams, you know, Malcolm Floyd, you know, Keenan Allen at 6'2 and over 200, whatever he is, 210 pounds, something like that. I mean, these are some bigger body wideouts that Rivers has kind of thrived with. If you watch his highlight tape from last year, Rivers, it's more like a Mike Williams highlight reel. Yeah. It's just Williams is just mossing some people for ball. So I do think that sort of player like Pittman was an absolute must. Well, that's what Phil Rivers' deep ball is. It's I want to throw it up to somebody who I think can go get a 50-50 ball. That's that's kind of what his deep ball is. So it's right, not surprising right. that he's able to get success with those bigger type of wide receivers throughout his career. Uh, you had mentioned Eric Ebron a little bit earlier. He's not on the team anymore. Jack Doyle, Trey Burton, you mentioned him. What's the rotation split going to be between them? Who is really going to be the lead tight end from a from a fantasy perspective from for receiving yards and catches and touchdowns? And are there, there going to be a lot of two tight end sets, uh, frankly, with this team? Yeah, I think there will be, as long as Trey Burton can stay healthy. You know, right. he had the injury issues last year in Chicago, but Frank Reich uses multiple tight end sets right up there, just about anybody in the NFL. Um, now, Jack Doyle, from a play count standpoint, he is going to play a whole lot, and, and he always has under Frank Reich. 
even when Eric Ebron was healthy. Doyle would out-snap him by 30, 40 snaps a game, but then when you look at it at the end, Ebron would have three catches for a touchdown, and it, it would be a pretty good day for him. Um, so that's the biggest question of, like, Burton is a different body type than Ebron, 6'2", the 6'4". He actually probably is a little bit more of a complete tight end than Ebron, maybe not as a not as just that pure um, you know, pass-catching tight end. Obviously, he can do a lot of that, but that's kind of Ebron's sole purpose for being on the field. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, I think Doyle will get more, you know, plays and, and, and reps and those sorts of things. But I still think Burton is going to have a big role in this offense. You know, it, it would be tough for me to pull the trigger on either of those guys as like a, you know, top 10 tight end or something like that, just because I do think they will split a lot of reps and it is more of a run focused offense. And you have some intriguing wideouts as well. Um, but knowing how much Frank Reich wants to use those tight ends, they still are going to be on the field a whole lot. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't see Jack Doyle being in the top 10 or even Trey Burton being in the top 10, but I do have Jack Doyle as one of my sleeper guys who might be just outside in that maybe that top 12 area, top 13 area, where he might actually get you consistent production because of your point. What I see, I, I see Jack Doyle being on the field all the time. He's had success before in the past when he's on the field that much. He you know, the only thing is he doesn't always get the touchdowns because that's where guys like Trey Burton comes in. But I do want to ask another question, though. What's the deal with Mo Alley-Cox? Yeah, I mean, I, I still look at him as kind of your third tight end. Okay, um, He's probably more of a blocker. You know, I feel like when you see these ex-basketball players, everyone's like, oh, wow, they're going to come in here and be a great receiver. But, like, it is kind of more of a blocker for Alley-Cox, and he's got to grow into being more of a complete tight end. Um you know, some fans might remember the Colts had Eric Swope a few years ago. Yeah. Um, play basketball at Miami, kind of a similar thing. And this is a big year for Allie Cox. So he's kind of teetering on, like, are you going to be a Swope? Where it's like, there's some flashes, but there's not that, okay, you're our definite number two tight end. I thought tight end was a big need. And if Burton can't stay healthy, you know, that all of a sudden opens up the door for Allie Cox right. or, honestly, for the Colts to go outside their own building to try and find another tight end. But I look at Allie Cox as kind of your third tight end. Again, in this offense, he's still going to play a little bit, but he'll need an injury before he plays a lot. Okay. Yeah, I'm because he was just somebody who was talking about a lot. Was he going to get his special packages last season? And then that really never materialized. And then going into this year, they go after Trey Burton. So, yeah, still, there's a lot of a lot of people who love, you know, like you said, they fall in love with the basketball player. They fall in love with the athletic ability that he has, and it's just kind of interesting to me. But I w- I'm in agreement with you. As soon as they signed Trey Burton, it made a lot of sense to me because I'm with you where I don't think Mo Alleycox was quite there yet, at least not quite there yet where you could have the confidence going into the season that he could really be the number two uh, tight end. Moving on from that real quick, though, I just want to talk about the defense a little bit. Colts have a pretty good defense. They have an up-and-coming defense, and with them adding DeForest Buckner, what kind of defense are we going to be able to see this year, especially from a fantasy perspective? How many sacks? How many turnovers? I mean, this this is, could be one of those defenses not a lot of people are talking about that I think might be really, really good. Yeah, obviously the trade for DeForest Buckner has gotten a ton of headlines. It's, it's a rare trade. You you don't very often see teams trade a top 15 overall pick for a defensive tackle. So that's how much that position means to the Colts and their defense. And they need more of the production, like you said. They need more of a consistent pass rush. They need to take the ball away better at a, at a higher rate. And I do think Buckner can impact every level of this defense. I mean, the whole nation saw last year, Week 15, Monday Night Football, Drew Brees sets an NFL record 
for completion percentage. The Colts are the only team in NFL history to have given up back-to-back seasons of at least 70% completion percentage. That's not good. Yeah. So Buckner is a guy that they feel like can disrupt timing early in plays, you know, make these quicker rhythm quarterbacks think twice, I guess, um, you know, just about you know, getting rid of the ball and those sorts of things. So I do think the Colts will kind of be a sleeper defense for the most part. They bring back a lot. We'll see how Xavier Rhodes comes in and if he can kind of revitalize his career a little bit after a shaky 2019 season. Um, but I, I wouldn't be, well, especially in favorable quarterback matchups, but the Colts have a lot of those, or at least I think more of those early in the season. Um, I think the Colts could be a nice little free agency sort of, um, you know, wa- waiver wire pickup of like, all right, they, they might give you a couple of, you know, scrappy turnovers and, and, and especially early in the year. And obviously you wouldn't need to waste a draft pick on them. Well, the benefit that you always have is you get to play Jacksonville twice this year, so that should work out <laughs> in your favor a little bit there at least. Right, right. Um, before we let you go, there's a question that I want to ask everybody that I have on this show just to kind of get a consensus with everything going on right now. What is your personal feelings about the prospects of the NFL season actually being able to start on time? Yeah, it's obviously a great question. Um, I, I don't have a great, great gut feeling on it um part of me thinks that now we're starting to see okay um you know whatever nascar the pga tour you know major league baseball being floated around it's kind of early july the nba could make a decision as well um that gives me a little bit of hope um you know hopefully this is kind of a thing that we see go away a bit more in the warm weather and you know potentially in a couple of months we have a better um, you know, either it, it's more of a handle on testing and, and tracing and those sorts of things, or even a handle on, you know, tr- you know, obviously a dream scenario would be a vaccine w- well down the road. But you know the NFL wants to play this season, and they don't need fans in the stands. Obviously, that is ideal, but that is not an absolute must for them from what they have from a TV revenue standpoint. Um, so I... <laughs> If you're going to make me, you know, guess right now, I think they will play. Um, again, I don't say that with a whole lot of conviction, but I just believe in modern medicine a little bit. I believe in, you know, people kind of coming together over the next, you know, couple of months and, and getting some sort of idea on how that will actually look. It'll be weird. It won't be normal. That's kind of life in 2020. And then hopefully um, by next year, everything will be back to normal from a fan attendance and a, and a health standpoint. Yeah, I mean, that's the most we can all hope for. I, I try to hold on to that, I hope, as well. If nothing else out of the the need that's there for entertainment right now. Um, but, but like you, I don't feel confident in that hope, but just have it for now until we get closer. Uh, Kevin, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. You're absolutely great, as you always are. I want to make sure everyone checks out your podcast, too, the Kevin Corners podcast. It's excellent. Uh, I always, I've subscribed to it on iHeartRadio myself. It's, it's really a great listen uh, especially on your drives to work or if you're just sitting around in the house uh, right now like most most people probably are at this moment. Kevin, before you get out of here real quick, again, just remind everybody where to find you at and what's something that you are working on now that people can go ahead and check you out for the future. Yeah, thanks for plugging that. Uh, it, again, it's KBowen1070 on Twitter. As you mentioned, Kevin's Corner is the podcast. Um, I, I'm diving deeper into these cold draft picks. You know, they, like I said, they had nine of them. Uh, looking at some Jacob Eason film right now that I'm going to post at some point here in the month of May. So, um, yeah, kind of looking at uh, closer at, at this draft because it's an offensive heavy draft early on for the Colts, something that we haven't seen a whole lot, which will, uh, which will appease uh, fantasy owners out there. 
Excellent. Excellent. Love it. Kevin, we'll talk to you again real soon, my man. And thank you again for coming on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Dan. Have a good one. Take care. And that was Kevin Bowen, 107.5 The Fan Indianapolis. I hope you guys really enjoyed the show. I had a great time doing these interviews. I think we had a lot of great content that's really going to help prepare you guys moving forward in this process. Next week, same thing. Team Profile Part 2. We're going to be talking about the 49ers, the Chargers, the Steelers, and the Packers in next week's show with insiders from all of those teams as well. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at BellyUpMDFFShow. And, of course, the same username now, for Facebook at BellyUpMDFF Show for the announcement of who those insiders are going to be and exactly when that episode is going to be dropping. I hope to see you guys all again next week. Make sure you check us out on your favorite podcast app, including iHeartRadio now, or watch the stream live on YouTube, Facebook, Sportscaster Live, and of course on Twitter. Everybody take care, and I'll see you guys real, real soon. Thank you for listening to Belly Up Sports, MD's fantasy football show. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.